0: Support for this episode comes from our friends at Audible. Audible is an audiobook platform that's run by Amazon, and it's a great way to listen to your books in the same way that you listen to podcasts. So I want to give you an opportunity to get a free book on me. Jason Fried's Remote Office Not Required is a book from an author I really admire. This guy runs a very successful company. He's got a super phenomenal work ethic and I really think that you can learn a lot from this book remote. So check out audibletrial.com BLC. That's my gift to you, a free audio book credit for Amazon's Audible if you've never tried it before, or click the link in the show notes if you do have Audible and you would still like a copy of the book. Your purchase goes to help support the show and we can continue to create content like this. So let's get into the show. Hey, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Business Life & Coffee Podcast. This week... Now, I don't have guests on my show all the time. But when I do, you've got to know that there's someone really, really special. And this week, we're joined with Jeremy Stewart, who is the founder of Mari, And Mari is a wonderful brand. I'll let Jeremy talk about it. I just recently got some shoes from them and uh, some flip-flops for my baby girl but we're just here to get to know Jeremy what he's got going down in Dallas and uh, his life as an entrepreneur. So, Hey, Jeremy, thanks for coming on to the show. Joey. Thanks for having me. I
1: hope I uh, live up to the great lead in and intro. So thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Much appreciated. My pleasure, man. With fall approaching is fall flip-flop season. Can you still rock a good flip-flop in the fall?
1: In Texas, of course,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, that's a year round uh, footwear, uh, obsession we have here with flip-flops in Texas. But I suppose it depends on where you are in the fall. No, it's it's a good question. Uh, yes, and here, but uh, not everywhere in the country. It's one of the more interesting drivers behind why we actually have, have begun moving into different parts of uh, footwear from flip-flops uh, in the past year or so.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, I was fortunate to get the trainers that you have. So um, I'm going to be kicking around town with those. Um, but tell us, first of all, why Harry Mari? What there's a lot in the name, so give us the method to the madness behind Harry Mari. What's that all about? Well,
1: it's it's funny. You know, you, we always say you know you kind of open the window when you ask that question because there's a lot going on there, especially with the history of, of the brand. Uh, I started off in politics. Uh, I used to be a political consultant and mostly running foreign races uh, uh, in countries abroad and, and mostly in developing democracies. And after doing that for almost 10 years and kind of tiring out on it a bit, I was ready to come back home to Texas where I'm from and, and start something new. And one thing I learned in that my previous career was just that uh, you could take the same skill sets and the same toolbox and strategies that uh, you use in, in politics and, and political campaigning, especially on the media side where I was more heavily involved and apply that to a consumer good. And so when I moved back to Texas with my wife, uh, we started really thinking about you know exiting politics altogether and, and kind of taking that to a consumer good that we'd land on and hopefully like. And we kept coming back to flip flops and sandals for a lot of different reasons, but chief among them is that it's a high growth arena in terms of footwear. It's actually only second to um, running shoes and to athletic shoes. A lot of that growth is actually in the south and southeastern U.S. You know, it's obviously, flip-flops started as a, a surf footwear option, you know, pre- and post-surf, but really kind of has grown far beyond that. And, and really, you look at the high-growth cities, it's it's mostly they're landlocked cities. Um, and and again, going back to your initial question, Joey, is that most of the cities have year-round climates that allow for year-round flip-flop wear. So we were super excited just about the opportunity or the idea of bringing something new to the table. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to create a a business around something that's just an iteration of something that's already existing. So we started looking for where maybe we could make our mark. And so I started doing what I knew how to do. I started focus gripping folks and I went around to local colleges in Dallas and just handed out flyers, you know, for 50 bucks, offering 50 bucks and free pizza for people that would come and just sit in front of the glass. And I hired a buddy to, to moderate and, you know, just ask all the questions I wanted to ask. You know, uh, where do you buy? How often do you buy? What do you think about flip flops and sandals? Uh, what price points do you typically buy at? Um, what are the, your kind of purchase considerations? And then and really kind of most importantly, what do you dislike about flip flops and sandals? And about three days. Of of focus groups later, I think I walked away with, with a ton of information, which later became the kind of the core tenets and foundation for what would become Harimari. And those are, everyone hates uh, the uncomfortable break-in periods with flip-flops. I mean, everyone. And so that even people who will never try flip flop it's mostly because of that little piece that goes between your first and second toe and the pain that causes. And so uh, we said, okay, we can maybe do something there. For guys specifically, we were so surprised, and I guess we shouldn't have been, but we were to find that, that guys really didn't have any color options you know there was tons of color for women but guys really only had black and brown sandals to choose from and so we said okay there might be you know an interesting uh, facet there and then really third we just noticed from just observing that the people who came to take part in the focus groups that 70, 75, 80% of the respondents were wearing flip flops themselves. And they had no idea this was obviously going to be a flip flop centered focus group. So we said, okay, th- those are really, some really interesting points we can maybe take away and do something with. And we later did. We later hired an engineer from Teva, who would worked for Teva, which is another large sandal company, to basically design in, uh, a little memory foam encased toe piece we filed patent for that completely mitigates that break in period, that that war on your toes. We injected color into our flip flops where there was none, especially on the men's side, but did so kind of in a way that. We think guys would find acceptable to wear out um there was a two outlandish and then three which is really where I was excited to step in beyond product Was we looked at how this was was marketed. And so just because flip-flops were born in the surf culture, you have kind of 99% of the brands in the U.S. are based in California in our space. And so we said, okay, this is really interesting, but what does this look like from Texas? And what does this look like for, you know, the guy or the girl that doesn't surf and that doesn't know the surfer from you know, Adam and Eve? So we said, okay, that's really interesting. And we kind of tr- started to flip the script on how we could potentially market to this customer base that is pretty much used to always being marketed to through a surf or through a beach sport or ocean sport uh, aesthetic. And so that was really interesting for us. And then kind of the geographical angle from this and just kind of doing this from our backyard and kind of being, you know, a fish out of water, so to speak, and being able to kind of capture this zone and really thinking about it in almost political campaign terms again, and kind of building momentum in the South and Southeast and but really trying to take it further than that once we had some momentum. And so that's really how we started. And then kind of going back to the name piece, Hari means, uh, it was just a nod to kind of the, the roots of where this idea came from, where uh, my wife and I were living in Indonesia at the time. And so uh, Hari means of the sun in Indonesian and Mari means of the sea in Latin. Um, and so we just Kind of married the two together, and you know, found that people tend to remember the name, and it allowed us to kind of uh, have a, a blank slate to write on from a, a product standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's pretty brilliant, Jeremy. And I love that you transitioned from politics into consumer goods. For the person that's listening to this interview and they have a similar dream, similar passion, and trajectory of going from one industry to another, what advice would you give to that person that's looking to make the jump and doesn't kind of know their their first best step?
1: I think if you're willing to, I mean, look, there's a fine line between stupidity and bravery, right? <laughs> I, mean, I think I, think we, I think I've I feel like I test that line every day. um, But I think it's knowing, you know, we had no idea. We had no preconceptions. We had no background. We had no experience in the footwear industry. I think that that helped us in a lot of ways. And I think it hurt us in a lot of ways from the beginning, at least. So I think just being open to, to really learning you know radical learning on a very intensive basis and throwing yourself into that and then basically bringing any sort of back, past background or past experiences to bear that could maybe bring a novel or new approach to that industry I think that's that's what really excited me at least and so I think for anybody that's interested in getting out of what they're doing right now or, or they've always dreamed of making a jump I think first and foremost just knowing that it's always harder than you think it's going to be I mean there's a reason why everyone says that entrepreneurs are masochists because they really are <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you kind of figured out who gets punched in the nose every day and you come back the next day and and you want more of that. And um, if you're not up for that challenge, then, you know, it can be mentally pretty grueling. It's a a grind. So I think just knowing that going into it and knowing, preparing yourself for that grind for that kind of ever ceasing challenge, because it doesn't go away. I mean, even you know, we're seven years, eight years into this now, and it, it, every day is still a challenge. And you, you know, you come into work thinking you're going to work on these 10, 15 things that you've planned out, you know, and you've kind of listed out uh, very precisely the day before, or the week before, and then you come in and it, everything just completely gets obliterated on your, your schedule and you're working on 10 to 15 different things, you know, new fires pop up. It's just one of those things where it's uh, if that sounds fun and if that sounds like a good time, then it's, you know, entrepreneurialism is probably for you. Um, so yeah, I think just preparing yourself mentally for that and then, prepare yourself financially for it too. I mean, I think that that's, that's probably one topic that probably goes under discussed. I feel like at least with entrepreneurs, it's just making sure you've got a, a solid foundation and a solid financial kind of footing before you, you venture in those waters, because it's um you know, it can be it can test you. I mean, my wife and I went almost two years without drawing uh, salary and Harimari from the get-go, uh, both because we wanted to really show proof of concept and show that we were being good stewards to the idea behind the business before we went and raised capital. Yeah. But also because, you know, we see a lot of business plans, a lot of fundraising, and and we want to make sure we could really walk the walk before we talk the talk. And so that was you know, part and parcel of doing that.
0: Yeah. So you're listening to the Business Life and Coffee podcast with Jeremy Stewart as our guest. Jeremy is the founder of Mari. They are a footwear brand based in Dallas, Texas, and really changing a perspective on flip-flops and who to market to, how to market to them, what their value most. Now, Jeremy, this is the Business Life & Coffee show. So as much as we can talk about business, let's talk about home life for a second. What is it like having a family and being an entrepreneur and how you kind of manage <laughs> manage that?
1: I laugh prematurely when you ask the question because I always tend to say uh, that no one ever warned us that starting a business and starting a family at the same time could (laughs) could be a challenge. (laughs) <laughs> and it for sure is. In fact, when my wife and, and to add a bit more on top of that, my wife is my business partner. And so we have this kind of this very interesting dynamic. And especially when we first started out, we had, because we had no idea what we we're doing, we were always kind of clashing and, you know, kind of running into each other's lanes before we really learned what unique skill sets and strengths we each brought to the table. And we learned to kind of obviously harness and kind of drive our own ships in those directions. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we're starting off and it's, it's almost impossible, right. To separate the two. I mean, We try, especially in the beginning, we really tried to separate work from family, and you know, but it's really tough. I mean, when when my wife was she oversees the wholesale side of our business and the marketing PR side, and and when she's you know on the road that first year, you know, pregnant with our first our daughter at that time, you know, trying to sell our flip flops, you know, kind of in Texas surrounding states, it's really tough not to not to have those two together. And so there's there's almost like a, a piece of this where. For us, we just embraced it a bit more and allowed the work to kind of bleed over into the personal and, and them to kind of commingle. There is a time, of course, where especially when you have young kids and the kids are, are aware and they're starting to soak everything in around them and and have become conscious that we, we did say, Hey, look, let's let's kind of leave everything at the office and then if we need to talk about something later. Let's wait till, you know the, the kids are asleep and, and, and so let's have kind of let's be in the moment at least for those two hours, three hours that we're home if we if we're you know able to even get that with them before we dive back into it just being just being more conscious about our time spent and our time management with them than you know letting our business overrun that. So yeah, I mean it, Joe, it's a, I'm sure you know it's it's super difficult to to walk that tightrope. But, you know, hopefully we've done an okay job with it so far.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's super tough, man. I'm actually experiencing um, being a father and uh, running a business. It, it's one thing when you... I have a spouse who she she's not my business partner, but of, of course in life you're partners in all things, but not officially a business partner. But it's it's another thing when you do have a, a toddler that you know doesn't care about you know how many deals you had or didn't have, but you know playtime is of importance and feedings and milk and all that. So yeah, uh, I <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I love it. I wouldn't change anything, and uh, it's definitely uh, a dream of. My to have a child and raise a daughter, but um, yeah, there's a huge juggling that uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on because you're you're quite a few steps ahead of me, and um, I always appreciate people like you give good advice from the trenches.
1: Well, I think the best part about our family life for me, and then having that you know side by side with our business or above our business, however you want to look at it think about it is that again you always go through these ups and downs during the day right and just one of the maxims is right you never you never get too high you never you know you never read too much of your own press and you never get too low you never you never you know, taking the negative too too much because you're, the truth and reality is you're, you should always be somewhere in between because you're never as great or as bad as, as people you know perceive as, as a brand or as an individual right throughout the day but there's definitely when you go home and you spend time with your children that's never more true, right? I mean, there's there's definitely this kind of grounding sense that all that is kind of all that's fluff, but this is real, you know. And there's that that kind of tethering back to reality that I really enjoy every day. That puts everything in perspective,
0: you know. Yeah, for sure. It's very grounding, like you said. Humbling, is like you said, because like my daughter, I mean, she can't even read, so she doesn't even know. <laughs> What, right. what you know? What awards are there, or what client is being difficult at the time? But um, yeah, it's it's fun. I'd, I'd love to explore this idea of family and, and business um, sometime. Now, Jeremy, you mentioned the various superpowers or skill sets that you and your wife bring, uh, and your wife being over on the sales and, and PR side. Uh, what's your superpower? What do you enjoy most doing at Hari Mari?
1: I think I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> and I say that in Cheek, I mean it's going into it, we knew that my wife was going to handle wholesale marketing PR. knew that I was gonna focus more on product design and marketing and our, the web side of our business, our e com business. Um so we kind of knew that those were our basic lanes that we were gonna try to stay within. And obviously, there's a ton of crossover. But as you continue to grow, I mean, I think that one of the tougher parts about starting a business and seeing that business kind of grow from year to year is that you have to, in order to grow, you have to figure out what you really are great. It's almost like pruning the bush, right? You got to figure out where your real strengths are, because when you start off, you got to do everything by necessity. And so you're doing 20 different things. And, you know, you got to be, uh, at least I've found that being most honest with myself is hopefully the, the best medicine. And, and uh, hey, I'm really good at that. I think I'm good at that at least. And yeah, maybe I'm not so good at, you know, I'm, I'm great at, at putting an ad together I can put a 30 second ad or a radio ad together and and, and no, no time at all but hey by the way my crayon drawings of flip-flops that I've been taking to our factories abroad maybe isn't the best way to actually do that <laughs> you know, there might there might be a a person or two out there who has uh, way better experience designing and, and incorporating, you know, actual, you know, design cues and color cues and uh, than I do. So, uh, you know, I, that's a great example where when I was two years ago, when I literally was still handing over almost like hand-drawn, you know, CAD or tech packs to our, our factory, you know, I think that they would, they would just laugh themselves silly every time I'd hand it over to them you know, there, I knew there had to be a better way. And at that time we, we couldn't afford it or up to that point. and And then when we were able to raise enough financing to be able to afford, you know, all stars and, and their different positions, that was one of the very first things we did product is king. And so we searched and found a, a great uh, design duo that had worked for a bunch of flip-flop and sandal brands before. had tons of experience, way more so than I ever could dream to have. And um, just being real with, with myself and being honest with myself, these are my real value adds, and these are not. And so yeah, had to, to answer your question really r- in a very roundabout way. I think that there are certain things that, that I can do, certain things my wife can do, but the real answer is that there are people out there who can do everything. We do probably a lot better, maybe outside of one or two things. And I think the thing that founders are best at is knowing their brand, telling the story, being able to kind of to mold all that together and to build a team that can help further and advance that brand. I think that's the thing that founders are you know in their hearts are really good at outside of, you know, a few skill sets, but they're people that can always do most of what you think you're great at much, much better.
0: Yeah, that and that's I think that's what separates Founders who thrive and are in it for the long haul. I mean, you've been in business for uh, seven years now. I'm I'm going on eight with my company and that whole 5 year if you can make it for 5 years you you should pat yourself on the back like that's real and i think one of the reasons why companies make it that far is that the founder says hey i can't do everything or i'm not the best person for this so i have to surround myself with people who are better who may not even be as committed to my dream or vision as i am but They're great at what they do. We work great. They're either a partner by being a contractor or employee or business referral partner or what have you. And yeah, that teamwork approach, I think, is what what makes longevity in business happen because you can't do it all. Even the things that you love doing, there's somebody that's better at you, (laughs) better than you at that. So it's humbling, but that's really what a founder has to come to grips with is like, hey. You know, I started this because I was very passionate about X, but I realized that we've gotten so big or we've been able to get to a point where someone who is better than me at X can take this thing and run it in that lane and then I continue to add value somewhere else. Would you say that that's your, your story too?
1: hundred percent. And I think that the you know, we've skinned our knees so many times and have tried to really learn from those experiences as much as possible. I think we have. I think one of the Kind of the bear traps we tend we fall in once or twice uh, along the same lines is that there's also you feel like there's these people that will come into your business and be kind of silver bolts for a problem or for an issue or concern you know a deficiency, and you know that person has to be a really good fit i mean there there' I can think of you know one individual specifically when we we were thinking about kind of sales right and um and really adding gas to our wholesale sales team. And, and we just thought that, you know, this was going to be kind of the, you know, the answer to do that. And, and the person that would take this thing, you know, to the moon and back and, you know, it probably were, it, just from a, a realistic compensation standpoint, we're paying him um, and compensating him almost, uh, if not more than, than we're paying ourselves. And, and this is a few years back and just thinking like, gosh, this is the, this guy's gonna be the greatest and, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna put this thing on this this wholesale tri- side of our business on this great, you know, skyrocket uh, trajectory, and and we made the hire, and you know, kind of like nine to twelve months in, it just fell apart, you know, it just didn't go nearly, I mean, we recognized it wasn't working, which I'm glad we, we did. And we, and we recognized that, it, you know, both for him and for us, it wasn't a good fit. But it's also one of the things that be careful what you wish for when you start bringing in other people, because if it's not the right person, or if you think that, you know, just by automatically putting a kind of a, you know, hired gun into your uh, arsenal here that has, you know, lots of experience and backgrounds and, you know, brings the perfect resume, it's just be careful what you wish for, you know. I don't know if you've had that experience as well, but that's been one of our you know, our key takeaways is that, yes, I mean, building people out and adding to that group and adding to your company is hugely important to growth, right? But it's almost like how you add is is more important uh, in some ways.
0: Yeah, man, I definitely, um, I understand that you want to make sure that you, there's a bit of a issue now with, with the whole concept of hire for culture, because experts are saying that when you hire for culture, you essentially hire the same kind of person, and then there's a the lack of diversity. But I think what they're really saying is hire for people who can be committed to your cause, hire for people that can commit to being a nice person who works well with others and can play in the sandbox. So I, my business is HR. We, we help teams get people that fit. And we help assess if that's not working. And um, it's definitely important to, to assess if it's not working. Course correct as soon as you can. I, I say hire slow, fire fast, because yeah. it just becomes a toxic thing when you have this one person who obviously isn't working out, and then they begin to bleed into the motivations of others. So you've, got, right. to, you've got to make that, that change. And not only do they bleed into the motivation of others, but the, the people that are committed you know, they're looking around at you like, OK, well, <laughs> what are you going to do about this? <laughs> right. So, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the personnel on your team is, is a huge, huge, huge thing.
1: Well, you, you would know better than anybody, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you see it every day. It, for me, it's just interesting, when, especially when you have key people and you're kind of talking about almost like C-suite additions at, at a kind of a, our size of business. And that C-suite addition doesn't go very well. It tends to kind of throw the kilter of the entire ship off a little bit more than if it was you know somebody who was coming in a kind of a, in a more ground level position or area.
0: Yeah, the, the higher up you have someone, the more of a ripple effect their uh, influence has in your, in your organization. Well, Jeremy, it's been awesome chatting with you, man. Next time I'm in Dallas, I'll have to hit you up. I know you're friends with uh, Justin. He's a, he's a really good guy as well. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. Any parting thoughts, anything you're excited about in the next few months that you want to share on the show?
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, we've up until this, this coming fall, we've been almost exclusively a flip-flop company. And so now we're, we're actually starting to roll out, as, as you mentioned previously, choose. Uh, so we have trainers. And then we also have uh, full grain uh, leather boots for the fall. So we actually have something to talk about <laughs> when it's snowing outside uh, across the, the U.S., uh, which is always a difficult proposition to push flip-flops outside of Texas in, in the winter months. So, yeah, so uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, give a small plug for our super comfortable memory foam laden trainers and boots. That's really the common thread between our flip-flops and our, our shoes and boots, just that day one comfort factor and mitigating all those painful breaking periods. But really, um, you know, having something to basically extend our Q3, Q4 and, and uh, giving a product that hopefully people will, will enjoy just as much as they enjoy our flip flops. So if, you, if your guests are interested, I, I would encourage them to, next time they're in the market for a pair of trainers, boots or flops, to, to check out uh, harimari.com, H-A-R-I-M-A-R-I.com.
0: Yeah. Hey, and Jeremy, really quickly, man, this might actually end up on the front end of the show. Uh, but if not, hey, that's cool too. But part of your business model is to generate funds for pediatric cancer research. And that really caught my eye because I believe in brands that aren't just about their bottom line, but they're also about how can I help make this world a better place? Could you talk to us a little bit about the origin of your relationship with pediatric cancer research? Is there a personal connection or, or what have you? What's the story there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's super important to, to my wife and I too. When we first started this business, we just from past experiences, my, my wife had been working when we were living in Indonesia. She had volunteered for an orphanage and was basically uh, charged with raising funds and, and goods and clothing and bedding for an orphanage uh, just outside of Jakarta. And I was also working on a project. I was working on a, a documentary film about hunger and malnutrition and how that affects kids in Southeast Asia. And so when we moved back to the States and we were, we were looking for that consumer good or that brand to start, we knew from, from the get-go, actually before we even landed on flip-flops and sandals, that we wanted to to do something that was more than just selling a commodity. We, w- we wanted to be able to give back to change, to contribute in some shape or fashion. And it was actually really frustrating because <laughs> at the time, there were a lot of brands that were doing doing it, it almost like it had a stigma around it at the time. Uh, yeah, you know, you're you're, a give, oh, you're another give back company. Like, yeah, but you know, we we re- <laughs> we really do believe that so there's not a there's not a bad thing in that. You know, and so when we we were doing our cursory research, we we, we didn't know where that that help or that assistance could best be directed. And uh, my wife and I were just doing some research. We we're stunned to find that in the U.S., pediatric cancer is the most fatal disease among among U.S. children, and actually, it's more fatal than all the other uh, U.S. childhood diseases combined. And so we were super shocked to learn that. And and so we wanted to, to contribute. And uh, so we when we landed on flip-flops, we married the two together. And it was a really nice dovetail that basically um, now allows us to give 1% of our gross sales back to support pediatric oncology and hematology centers in the U.S. And specifically, those funds are earmarked for families that can't afford treatment. So we work with centers that, that basically fund those treatments on their own. And then our contribution goes to supplement those. Those treatments as well. So we call it flops fighting cancer and um, something we've been super passionate about. And we have, we took, we did take a page out of Tom's playbook from the, from the get-go and we had flop drops inside of uh, the, each of the oncology and hematology centers about once a quarter. And it allows us to, to again, to know, to realize, to understand that there's more out there, and there's much, much bigger things going on than, than selling flip flops or marketing flip flops, and it keeps us all very grounded here, and um, it's super important just to keep things and you know kind of their, their spatial relevance to one another. So it, it's uh, for us something we're super passionate about, and albeit very small part of uh, kind of the overall contribution effort here to, to fight cancer. It's something we're very uh, proud of uh, thus far.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, uh, kudos to you for having a heart for something that really, really matters and is going to impact a lot of lives and and for just a really cool business and business model. Um, You guys are definitely on my radar now, so hopefully this won't be our last conversation. And um, yeah, I wish you and your wife much success as you all continue to grow the business. You too, Joey, uh, and, and to your business as well. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at, only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems? Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support U.S.-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to BusinessNewsDaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit Jumpstart-HR.com for more information or follow on Twitter at Jumpstart HR. Jumpstart HR. Let's build a better business together. Thanks for listening
1: to the Business, Life & Coffee Show with Joey Price. We hope you're inspired to become the best version of yourself after listening to our guest. What thought or idea stood out the most to you? Keep the conversation going by tweeting the show at BizLifeCoffee or our host at JoeyVPriceHR with the hashtag BLCMoments. And if you like what you just heard, pass along our podcast to at least five people. Detailed show notes can be found at www.BusinessLifeAndCoffee.com. And our full archive is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been a Jumpstart HR production.
0: Join us next time for another edition of the Business Life and Coffee Show.